the last election cycle, the government promised that it would implement a fair pay system, which would allow employers and employees to bargain for minimum standards across the industry or relevant occupation. So in March earlier this year, the long-awaited fair pay agreement bill was introduced into Parliament. This has since moved through several stages of the legislative process and is now sitting with the select committee. So you may have noticed some billboards scattered amongst your city with the words, say no to fair pay agreements. You may have also heard that the International Labour Organisation has something to say about fair pay agreements. So clearly, this is a hot topic and sometimes contentious, but other concerns warranted. My name is Elizabeth Giles and I am a solicitor in Lane Neves Employment Team based in Christchurch and along with me I have Fiona McMillan who is one of our Auckland-based partners. Hi Fee. Hello. So we know that fair pay agreements are a mandatory sector-wide collective bargaining regime. Can you please talk us through its purpose? Yeah so the I guess that the main purpose is uh, driving up uh, wages in New Zealand and so once, a, uh, I guess, a, a sector or a um, group of occupations go through a bargaining process, the idea is, is that they'll end up with a fair pay agreement, which outlines some minimum terms and conditions of employment mm -hmm. for people in, in that sector. Uh, so the, the bill talks about um, what minimum terms and conditions these agreements need to outline, but it's things like wages, hours of work, when people will get time and a half, mm -hmm. etc. So the, so the real basics of the employment relationship. So what we're going to have is we're going to have um, bargaining employer associations uh, and and bargaining advocates, I guess, bargaining until agreements are, are reached. So I guess just to be very clear what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about individual companies um, who are bargaining in relation to collective bargaining. These fair pay agreements are going to include whole sectors. So I'm talking about things like it could be bus drivers, it could be everyone who works in retail in New Zealand. It could be people who work in hospitality. Um, so there, there are certain thresholds within the within the bill, and I won't bore you with those details, um, which talks about what thresholds you need to, to bargain for a group of people. But I just want to make it very clear that it's going to be whole groups of people as opposed to, to individual companies. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I think I did a terrible job. No, you did a great job. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, talking about these fair pay agreements, do they replace individual employment agreements, collective employment agreements, and multi-employer collective agreements? Yeah, and I think it's this is one of the, the misunderstandings around fair pay agreements. And I think, to be honest, even as an employment lawyer who's supposed to be all over this stuff, this isn't something that I probably didn't click on to in, until the last few months. So, a fair pay agreement will be in addition to whatever agreements you've got in, in your workplace. Mm. Um, and as I said before, all it's going to do is set the bare minimum. So you might have individual employment agreements, collective agreements that are above and beyond that. It's just gonna set the minimum. And I think what employers have got to, to turn their mind to is in your organization and time, you might have a fair pay agreement, you might have an IE, a group of IEAs, mm. and potentially you might have a, a, a group of collective employment agreements. Now, I think the idea is that in time, collective employment agreements will 
potentially go out the window a little bit because fair pay agreements will be negotiated up to that level. Um, but then, I don't know, we've kind of had debates in the team as to whether or not that would play out. So I think to err on the side of caution, um, employers have got to prepare themselves that there might be multiple agreements within their organisations involving multiple parties. Absolutely, and that can be quite complicated when you have four or five different agreements that you have to refer to. It's complicated now without fair pay agreements, yeah. so I 100% agree. Mm. So what are some of the benefits of the system? Because we have talked about some of the complications. Yeah, look, I think at a high level, if this plays out the way the government, the way unions think it will, it will drive up wages in this country. Um, and I guess with inflation um, and, and general cost of living issues, I, I don't think a lot of people would, would be opposed to people being paid what, what they deserve. So... I think if it plays out the way they think it's going to play out, I think that's an obvious benefit. I think the other thing is, is that in a lot of, in a lot of workplaces in New Zealand, there, there aren't collective employment agreements. They're, there are just individual employment agreements. And sometimes individual employees don't feel confident enough to, to bargain for their own terms and conditions. Mm. And if there's no collective or no union in their workplace, um, generally they, they are stuck with what the, what the employer offers them. So if there are fair pay agreements in the background, there will be, there will be groups that will be driving up people's wages who, who personally feel a little bit uncomfortable having that conversation. Mm. So um, some individuals might, might find that a, a real positive for them. Absolutely. So you've mentioned employer associations and advocates. What happens when there are too many parties interested in joining the association or being the advocate or conversely what if no one can be bothered participating? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so I guess um, the, the bit that's had a lot of attention and there's been a bit of media focus um, in relation to this is the situation where if no one wants to be involved. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when originally Business New Zealand were going to be appointed to, to be a, a bargaining association or be an advocate. Uh, they pulled out um, and then the government introduced um, further legislation which provided a mechanism as to who would be involved if no one wanted to, right? But I think in practice, I don't think that's going to happen very often. I think what's going to be the bigger issue is every man and his dog is going to want to, to be at the table. And I guess to give a bit of a live example to this is um, we do, Lane-Eve, we do a lot of work in the hospitality sector, a lot with hotels. Um, and I think if, a fair pay agreement is initiated with a hotel um, or hotels in New Zealand, every brand, every GM, every HR person and every hotel in New Zealand is going to want to be at that table um, and they're, they're going to want to be appointed the spokesperson. So that's the bit I haven't got my head around is how are, how are companies... So if I use the hotel example, how are Accor, Intercontinental, Hilton, the list goes on, mm. how are all the, them going to agree about mm. what they're comfortable with as minimum terms and conditions? So that's the bit I just, I haven't got, got my head around. And as I said, I think the government's focused on the wrong thing here. They're worried about people uh, shying away from it, but I think it's going to be the other way around. Absolutely. And it's almost taking a national across the board approach which 
is going to be, an, I guess, a nightmare when you're considering all the different stakeholders competing. 100%, 100%. So are there any misconceptions that you can clear up for us? So, for example, there was talk about the fair pay agreement system breaching international labour obligations. Yeah, and I think that's one that's been quite heavily publicised. So um, parties, including Business New Zealand, went to the International Labour Organisation because they were of the view that their their fair pay agreements were, that proposed fair pay agreements were breaching international laws. And what their concern was mm. is that fair pay agreements are taking away the rights of individuals to negotiate for their own terms and conditions. Um, and I think when I first heard this argument, I thought, okay, maybe there's something in this. Uh, but the international labour organisations come back and say, well, no, the bill is just setting minimum terms and conditions. Mm. Um, if Lizzie from Lane Neve wants to negotiate for, for more, she, she's welcome to, she's entitled to. So I guess, I think that's possibly a little bit of a misconception that has been, that has been clarified. And, I, and probably the other big one is, is the one I touched on earlier. I think there has been this perception that fair pay agreements are going to replace um, all other agreements mm -hmm. we, we have. Uh, that's not the case. They're going to be in, in addition to. Um, but I think uh, a lot of parties, whether it be employers, whether it be employees, unions, employment lawyers, I think we've all read this legislation, we've all read articles, and I think we've all, we're all going to go into this with certain presumptions that once we try and do this in practice are, are going to be um, unwound pretty pretty quickly. Mm. Um, but that's a, a bit of a watch this space, I think. Oh, absolutely. And the bill's currently sitting with the select committee, mm. so there may be some amendments or proposed changes there that could come and also shift the grounds again. 100%. So we know that there is currently a significant backlog in the Employment Relations Authority, uh, with some matters taking up to 18 months to be heard and some authority decisions taking almost a year after that to be um, released, if not more. So how do you think the authority is going to cope with this extra workload? Um, in short, they're not. That, that's my view, and that's not me criticising the Employment Relations Authority. I think they're working as quickly and hard as they can with the resources that, that they have. Um, but, but I have some real concerns about this, Lizzie, because when you work through the bill, a lot of the backstop things is, well, if the parties can't agree, go to the Employment Relations Authority. If the parties can't agree, go to the Employment Relations Authority. Um, their workload and their resources already don't match with without this. So... I, I have huge concerns for the authority in relation to this. And I guess also generally for the parties concerned because it's just going to involve more costs, more delays, and arguably it's just going to cause a, a delay in, in, in what the legislation is trying to achieve. Absolutely. Well, the government has signalled its intention to pass the bill by the end of this year subject to the Select Committee report, and that is due to be released early next month in October. So we do suspect that we can see some big changes coming with that, so watch this space.